beloveds, welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance and showing up in liberation? What do they have to teach us about any of these things in the time of pandemic, in a time when profound death has been aided and abetted by white supremacist systems from police precincts to hospital corridors to congressional halls of power? How do we journey to freedom, even now, worn out as we might feel? My name is Seth Whispelway, and I am a pastor in the United Church of Christ. I use he and him pronouns, and I am speaking with you today from Tucson, Arizona, which is located on the traditional occupied homelands of the Tohono O'odham Nation and its people who have stewarded this land for generations. Our guiding lectionary scripture comes to us today from the author of John, chapter 10, verses 11 to 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf come in and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as God knows me and I know God. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, God loves me because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from God. Dante Wright, Adam Toledo, Micaiah Bryant. Names we should know because they are alive and thriving. Names we know because they were murdered by the police. One 20 years old, the other two children. Derek Chauvin, a name we know in large part because his murder of George Floyd was videotaped. A name we know because he was convicted to a degree, of that murder. We know this conviction is an exception to the rule. The fact that the outcome of the jury's decision was uncertain until it was read speaks so much to the rule that still prevails. Many were quick to rightly point out that Chauvin's conviction was not justice when the system that enables him and continues to remain in place. 
Many called it accountability instead of justice, but is accountability even the right word? Accountability, especially in networks and systems of mutual aid and trust, brings community concerns to bear on individuals. But when the community's concern is abolition and liberation, including of prison systems, is accountability what was granted? Will his trial deter individuals and a system that needs defunding and abolition and the individuals enabled by it? The jury is definitely still out, but the early returns are not promising as rampant militarization of police accompanied the outcome of the trial and the protests for Dante Wright, Adam Toledo. Micaiah Bryant was murdered as the jury's decision was being read in Minneapolis. We have work to do. The police, it seems to always bear repeating, are not good shepherds. They are the hired hands and the wolves, commissioned not to maintain law and order in the pasture, but to reinforce the color and socioeconomic line between the sheep. A society governed primarily by the death-dealing spiritualities of white supremacy, militarism, patriarchy, and consumer capitalism, is a wolf scattering sheep with intention and specificity, sheep it finds, quote-unquote, undesirable, scattering them to fend for themselves. Such a society is Antichrist and packs of wolves inundated and invested in the demonic, bloodless power of these death-dealing spiritualities are always at the ready to roam when given the signal. So let's talk a bit today about the differences and intersections between systems, institutions, and individuals when it comes to naming, addressing, and responding to the needs surfaced by white supremacist violence, the threats that come when white supremacy is threatened and the hope for new life, good shepherding on the other side. I want to share a very recent story that is both a big deal if it takes root and almost banal for how it was received by the adversarial powers that be. Last month in March 2021, Drs. Michelle Morse and Brahm Whispleway published a piece in the Boston Review titled An Anti-Racist Agenda for Medicine. I strongly encourage all of you listening to read and share it, and the link will be provided in the transcript to this episode. In the piece, Drs. Morris and Whispleway build a case that calls not only for reparations, but also restitution in healthcare for communities of color. The system and its prevailing notion that colorblind solutions can fix it, lacks the necessary solutions because, lacks the necessary solutions for transformation because that system, of course, does not exist in a colorblind reality. None of us do. Building on the overwhelming data that proves black, indigenous, and peoples of color are given substandard care, especially compared to white counterparts, and experience adverse health outcomes and life expectancies due to the polyvalent forces of white supremacy, they arrive at this clear conclusion. Quote, 
building on calls for reparations, we call this a vision for medical restitution. Federally paid reparations, urgent and long overdue, would help to mitigate racial health inequities, including those seen in COVID-19, but they would not on their own end institutional and structural racism. We believe we must pursue restitution programs at the institutional level while also advocating for federal reparations, end quote. They outline the very real and life-giving, short, medium, and long-term impacts this kind of initiative would provide. And they go on to spell out the guiding principles behind their new pilot initiative at their institution, Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts, an initiative they call the Healing Arc, using the reparations framework for ARC, A-R-C, that includes acknowledgement, redress, and closure. By taking the information available to all of us in the news about systemic racial health disparities, they are moving beyond simple agreement and applying it specifically to their context, doing something about it. It's not enough to simply read about and believe the so-called right things about dismantling white supremacy and building a just world. Proactive measures must be taken because systems don't change without the particularity of institutions and the individuals within them imagining and manifesting that change. Be the change you want to see in the world and all that. And they have buy-in from their institutions a hospital famed for also being home to the founders of Partners in Health, an organization that normalized a preferential option for the poor in healthcare worldwide when everyone said that was abnormal or a waste of money. This is tremendously exciting, beloved. Again, I can't recommend reading and sharing the piece strongly enough. And... Just as the pending removal of the Robert E. Lee statue in Charlottesville was all it took for a legion of white supremacists to find an excuse to violently attack that city and its residents, the publication of an anti-racist agenda for medicine whipped up a coordinated white supremacist backlash against the hospital and both doctors that was as terrifying as it was predictable. Never mind that the piece was simply laying out what is clearly known and quantifiably documented in terms of racial health inequities, never mind that the piece was proposing solutions that ensure all divine image bearers be granted the same level of attention and care afforded those with more wealth and white skin, never mind that our so-called healthcare system already provides preferential treatment based on color, in the virulent, navel-gazing alt-reality of right-wing media manufacturing, this piece, like so many other life-giving correctives to white supremacist hegemony, was quickly promoted as a prescription for quote-unquote white genocide, a popular concept among white supremacist ideologues that has been recently popularized even more by the likes of Tucker Carlson on Fox News and his massive platform. Carlson and his ilk mainstreamed the idea by positioning it as replacement theory, but it's the same, and it's an exceedingly dangerous conspiracy theory that has led to pogroms and genocides throughout history. Carlson monologued about it just this month, 
and white nationalists crowed as if they had hit the lottery because their messaging had made it. Indeed, influential neo-Nazi Andrew Anglin, one of the primary promoters of the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, previously called Tucker Carlson literally our greatest ally, and his Fox News show basically the Daily Stormer, the show. Where am I going with this? Well, all it took for doctors Morse and Wispelway to fear the safety of their lives and livelihoods was a managing editor at Quillette noticing their piece and manufacturing the replacement theory alarm. From there, a who's who of conservative and far-right outlets enthusiastically took turns creating an alternative narrative around what was actually proposed. From law enforcement today, to the Daily Caller, to the Federalist, until it got all the way up to Fox News, the effort was concerted to stifle the Healing Arc pilot program and impugn the doctor's credentials. And yes, eventually Tucker Carlson himself devoted a segment to the article. The troll armies that suckle at the diseased teats of these outlets did the rest, and in quick order, threats were being called into the hospital, threats were being called into doctors Morse and Wispelway, and hate mail and threats were inundating their inboxes. Dr. Morse, a black woman, received the worst you can imagine. Many of those participating in this campaign of racist intimidation felt no need to hide their names and professions in their communications. Terrifying, yes, and distressingly all too common for black women and many others who dare to speak up and act out against the violence of white supremacy. And like in Charlottesville, where, quote-unquote, all it took was the promise to remove a Jim Crow-era white supremacist Civil War participation trophy to unleash a torrent of violence and hate, here again, as in countless other cases, the promise to expand life-giving care for all the sheep in our pasture of health care from the moment they walk in the door, unleashed a similar response. This is why we call white supremacy death to all who reside under its noxious, gaseous system. For those most bought in, even the promise of expanding life is a threat and a cause to seek more death. It's why we see cops double down on their violence and militarization when simply asked to stop killing with impunity. But whether on the receiving end of the immediately lethal mustard grass, or walking around thinking we're doing fine inhaling carbon monoxide, white supremacy poisons us all. We cannot rest until all are fumigated. It's why we must join in solidarity with those moving not just the conversations, but the efforts forward. It's not enough to cheer them on and agree with what we read. We must clear the air by opening up pockets of resistance, dreams, and powerful possibilities for systems, institutions, and individuals to thrive beyond this one. As long as white supremacy reigns supreme, the backlash against God's dreams will always be both terrifying and predictable. Yet in that predictability comes our invitation to respond with the soul force of even greater narrative and work in solidarity with all who seek to be good shepherds in God's good pasture. Good cops quit. 
good doctors and nurses and physicians assistants and front desk personnel and more, these tend to pasture. They do no harm by prioritizing the health of every sheep, by acknowledging that some sheep are scattered, and ensuring that as soon as one enters the pasture or the front door, they are protected and nurtured to health with all the urgency and care as every other one. At this point, I want to invite you to join me in signing the solidarity statement put out in support of Drs. Morse and Wispelway, Brigham and Women's Hospital, and their Healing Arc pilot initiative. The solidarity statement was compiled by the Campaign Against Racism, which works to dismantle structural racism and its effects on health around the world by supporting local actions, efforts, and networks which aim to improve the health and lives of those most affected by racism, because racism kills. I am linking to the solidarity statement and the sign-on form to join and support here in this transcript. Please share as you're able with your networks far and wide. May you hold on to hope, beloved, even in the torrent of death and hate. From Minnesota to Chicago to Columbus to Boston and beyond, lives taken cannot be returned. But we can choose not to despair and recognize that the mainstreaming of Christ-like conspiracy theories, the defunding and abolition of police, the reparations and restitutions needed in healthcare are now afoot in the streets and in the corridors of medicine. Let us get in the pasture with life-saving and life-giving fervor. The living, still-speaking God, the Good Shepherd, calls you, calls us. To close, I want to share what my Bible shared with me about today's lectionary passage from John. Jesus is invoking scripture from Ezekiel in locating himself as the Good Shepherd illustrated by and in God. And those verses from Ezekiel 34 ring extra powerfully in light of our discussion today about health and overcoming the death-dealing spirituality of those hired hands who work to uphold white supremacy. Hear now this closing word of God from Ezekiel. As to bad shepherds, quote, You have not strengthened the weak. You have not healed the sick. You have not bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strayed. You have not sought the lost. But with force and harshness you have ruled them. For thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As shepherds seek out their flocks when they are among their scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. But the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. Whew! That is a word. The result of good shepherding is a restored experience of public justice. Beloved resources are available to imagine a world without policing, to manifest a healthcare system that treats and heals all equitably. Check them out here at Showing Up for Racial Justice and from those leading the way in your community and congregation. And finally, for those keeping score at home, yes, Dr. Brom Wispelway is a relative of mine. 
Indeed, anyone with the last name Wispaway in the continental United States is probably related to me. He is my brother, and it's an honor, as it is to call also Dr. Morse a friend. Thank you again for reading and sharing their piece in Boston Review, for reading and sharing the Campaign Against Racism Solidarity Statement, and signing your name and partnership with them. Spread the word. Good shepherds are needed. Thank you for joining me today. Our transcripts for each episode include resources for action, and please do check them out. The live recording you heard during this episode of Dr. Vincent Harding's Song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search on The Word is Resistance. You can interact with us there if you have questions or need help with action ideas. Be sure to give this episode a like or rate us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Transcripts are available on our website, which include any references, credits, and copyright information. Thanks to our sound editor, Max Pearl. With deep gratitude and even a glimmer of hope, as we continue to make this road by walking, I bless you forward with these words, a modified Franciscan benediction. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger and white supremacy, and all injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, racism, misogyny, queerphobia, war, xenophobia, COVID-19, police violence, and more, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and embody solidarity until their pain is turned into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done.